You're listening to a sermon podcast from Paramount Church in Columbus, Ohio. To learn more, visit ParamountColumbus.com. Well, let me invite you to turn with me in your copy of God's Word to maybe a surprising text this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. One thing that'll be evident to you this morning on the screen is that this is a special Sunday every year in the life of our church in which we, we take a brief break just one week from whatever preaching series we're in. Right now it is the letter to the Galatians as we're considering the, the important relationship between law and gospel in the Christian life, but at this point in November every year, we take a break for what is called the State of the Church Sermon, and it's an opportunity for us to remember together with joy who we are as a church and even to reflect on some of the things that God has been doing in the last year and some of the things we're praying for and looking forward to, and so it's an opportunity for us to return to our roots and to celebrate what God has done and is doing in our church. And and actually with that, I want to encourage you, uh, if you're interested, to pick up this little book. We have a bunch of copies at the resource table. It's called Listen Up, A Practical Guide to Listening to Sermons. And uh, because the preaching of God's Word is so important to our church, it's also important that we would be uh, growing in our ability to hear those sermons and to put those sermons to use in our life. You know, we, we really do care about the Bible in our church. In fact, one thing that you might not notice is that every time we even on Sunday stand up to preach, we will uh, refer first to the scripture text. We will always say, please join me by opening your Bible to such and such text. And so this is a book that will help us to all hear these sermons, and I want to encourage you to get a copy of that this morning. But uh, this morning is also interesting. I don't know if you noticed this either. In fact, this would be an interesting question for you. Have you ever heard the same sermon more than once? The answer actually is probably, if you've been here more than one year, is yes. And the longer that you've been here, the number goes up. If you have been here from the beginning... You have heard this sermon 10 times, almost identical, 10 times every year. That's how important it is to us. Uh, In this text, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 11, the reason we come back to it is because it's a kind of life text for us as a church. And uh, it's sort of like uh, known pastors who have, uh, when babies are born in the church, would give them kind of like a life verse that goes along with their name, that follows the meaning of their name. For instance, like, like someone might be named Michael, and Michael actually means who is like the Lord. So maybe Michael's uh, life verse would be Jeremiah 10, 6. There is none like you, O Lord. You are great, and great is your name in might. Or if someone's name is Amy, which means dearly loved, that passage might be 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. I've always been disappointed because the only thing I've ever known my name rushed to mean is red-haired, but I do have that life verse, which is Genesis 25, 25, the birth of Esau. Now came forth, uh, the first came forth red all over like a hairy garment, and they named him Esau. So I do have my life verse. But most importantly this morning, our church does have a life verse, and it is 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 11. Those who are new to our church, you may be hearing for the first time, 
even why our church is named Paramount Church. It's because of what the Apostle Paul says to the Corinthians in these verses. Uh, Namely, he says this, listen, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. For I delivered to you as of first or paramount importance. And he tells them that what he delivered to them was the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And so from the beginning of our church and hopefully on into the future, as long as our church exists, we hope that that our central mission will be to make the gospel paramount, that it would be central to everything that we are and and it would be uh, what we are known for, that it would be our name, which it is. And this is important because a name communicates our identity. We all have names that have meaning individually. We as a human race uh, had our first name as image bearers when we were created. Then through the fall, our names changed because of sin coming in and corrupting what God had made, that then we were known as sinners. But then, through the gospel, we've been given another name, and that name is Christian. Those who follow Christ, we've been given the name of of gospel people. This has become our name. So we want to celebrate that every year. We want to have some time to think about what it means to be Paramount Church and to reflect together on the good things that God is doing. And it's a great opportunity for anybody who is somewhat new to our church to hear again why the gospel is so important to us. So this is the state of the church. What is the state of our church? You should think about this, especially as church members. From time to time, think about what is the state of our church? Not not just in November, right around the 18th, but what is the state of our church in June or July or in August or September or January? What is going on in our church and how is it impacting your life? That's really what we are thinking about in the state of our church. Now, above all, in in general, absolutely, we can say some simple things about the state of our church being in a state of grace. And that's something that we're going to see this morning from this text. Our church is in a state of grace. Everything that's happening in our church is happening because of grace. Everything that is happening in our church is happening because of the gospel, It's not, and we know this, it's not because of anything that we are. It's not because of anything that we do. It's not because the pastors are particularly bright or that the people are particularly righteous and obedient. It is because God has been gracious to us time and time and time again. And that is not lost on us, and we pray that it never is. And one way to keep it in mind is by returning to this truth over and over again, coming back to these basics as we will this morning. So as you've turned to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 11 and noticing three truths, truths that you will hear on repeat every year as long as you're here. Here's the first truth that we want to remember this morning, and it is about the gospel as all three are. We notice first in the first two verses of this text that the gospel is the sum and the substance of the Christian life. This is an immensely important truth that is incredibly difficult for us to grasp because it's easy for us. This has been my habit and my experience as a Christian 
for many years in my Christian life, I had a very one-dimensional view of the gospel, which was simply this. The gospel is the message you must believe to go to heaven. That's what the gospel is. And once you believe it, once you hear it, once you become a Christian, you move on to bigger and better things. It's no longer about the gospel. That's for the newbies. We want to move on to the real meat. And it could be this doctrine or this theology or this text or something else in the Christian life, this spiritual discipline. But what we're reminded of here, and really if we take an honest reading of the Bible, is that the center of the Bible, the sum and substance of its truth and of the Christian life, is the gospel. It's that message that we see. Let's remember some of what we mean when we say gospel. The gospel is simply a word that means good news. It was originally used as a message that might come from the battlefield to announce the victory of the king or how the battle was going. And that term was then used by Christians like the Apostle Paul to, ref, to refer to the, the good news from the spiritual battlefield that Jesus Christ had lived, died, and risen again for his people, and he had won the battle, and he had rescued them and redeemed them and brought them to himself and secured them forevermore. And by that good news, he would keep them and nurture them and comfort them and embolden them and empower them all the days of their lives on into eternity. It's an important reminder because as people who tend, as we've been seeing in Galatians, we tend to go back to that law way of living. We need the reminder over and over again that the Christian life is not lived simply by law. It is lived by gospel. It's lived by repeatedly hearing, preaching to ourselves and to one another, the good news of Jesus Christ. And that reminds us of what the gospel is then. And this is another one of those important truths that if we're going to understand the Christian life, we have to understand this, is that the gospel is an announcement. It's an announcement of good news without any mixture of bad news whatsoever. The bad news isn't in the law. The gospel is the good news that's announced to us. But in being an announcement, it's different. It's different than what typically we think of as what's most important in the Christian life or in life in general. Typically, we think that the most important things in life are the programs and the plans and the rules and the laws, but rather, the gospel is none of those things. In fact, the gospel doesn't tell us to do anything. The gospel simply comes to us and announces the good news of Jesus Christ. And when God, by his sovereign grace, works in our hearts, he carries that message through our human ears down into our hearts. And he radically transforms who we are. He awakens us to see something that otherwise we couldn't see because of our sin. As James so carefully pointed out for us during ABF this morning, that sin has changed the way we think. It's changed the way that we believe. It's enslaved us, it's captured us, and we have no way to escape until Jesus with his good news comes in by his Holy Spirit and awakens us. That's what the gospel does because it's an announcement. And don't take my word for it, look at what the Bible says. Listen to these words from Paul, inspired by the very Holy Spirit who carries it into our hearts. Notice what he says in verses one and two. He says, now, I make known to you, brethren, the gospel. He says, I make known to you. 
Again, we see it right from the beginning in those little words. It's not something that we do. It's something that we come to know. And he goes further. He says, I have made known to you, brethren, the gospel, which I, another key word, preached to you. There's more of that announcement language. It's something that is preached to us, which you also received, in which you also stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word, more announcement language, which I preach to you unless you believed in vain. Wow, so many key words. Keep track of those. Circle them. If you have your Bible open, you can circle those words, words like gospel and preached and received and stand and saved and hold fast and preached and believed because these are the words that bring home the gospel to us. It helps us to understand what is this thing, this good message. It is something that is declared to us. It is something that is taught to us for our understanding. And it is good news. He reminds us that this is good news that is preached to our, our hearts. Notice at the end of that second verse, he talks about believing. And that's a key question for every person. What do you believe? Do you believe the announcement of good news that he has preached to you? It is by believing that we come to faith in Christ. It's not by doing. It's not by working. It's not by reforming our lives, reshaping our lives, getting with the program, cleaning up our language, changing our diets, changing our clothes. It's not by any of those things. Those may be things that we do in response to it, but ultimately, what does it mean to be a Christian? It means that you believe the good news. The good news has captured your heart. It has turned over the battle, the spiritual battle within us, which we were once held captive by our sin, but now we have been set free, and that's why it is good news. He uses this word, which is important. Euangelion is the word for gospel. And he uses a very similar word when he uses the word preach. What he means is that he's going around, this is what the Apostle Paul did, good newsing people everywhere that he went. He went around telling people the good news. And even here, you notice that he referred to them as brethren. He's not just going out into the, the highways and the byways, finding all the lost people to tell the gospel to. What's he doing? He's out good newsing even Christians. And there is that reminder for us that's so important that it is not simply the thing that gets us into heaven. It's the thing that keeps us all through the Christian life. It is the sum and substance. It's the thing that we hold fast to, as he says in this verse, that we hold it in our minds and in our hearts. We keep it in our memory so that it remains central to who we are and how we see think about and live in the world. It is essential. I see these people actually on YouTube and on social media, some of the really healthy people, the people under the, the carnivore diet, and they're always eating bone marrow. It looks disgusting. I don't know if anybody in here has done that. I never really understood that until I looked into it a little bit. Uh, I'm not doing it. You think I'm doing it. I'm not doing it. But I wanted to know about it, and it was really interesting just to see why you would do that. There is, there is something about bone marrow that contains even like the, the essence of life. It's where the majority of red blood cells and platelets and white blood cells are made. 
it is a kind of life-giving thing and central. It's central, not even physically inside your bones, but it's central to life. That's another good picture, isn't it, of what the gospel is. It is the marrow. In fact, actually, at certain points in church history, that was a word that was used to refer to what was most important. It was the marrow of life. The gospel is the marrow of the Christian life. It is the lifeblood of the Christian life. And there is nothing more important. That's why we want to make it, with the Apostle Paul, paramount. The gospel is our comfort. The gospel is our protection. The gospel is our healing. It's the marrow. It's the oxygen. It's the lifeblood of our lives. Christ is our marrow because Jesus is the gospel. It's the sum and substance of the Christian life. That means it has everything to do with how we live day in and day out. That's something we talk a lot about in our church. We have from the very beginning. It's been one of the hallmarks, of the good things of our church. Our church is not perfect. We have tons and tons of weaknesses. We have all kinds of things to improve on. But one of the strengths has been and continues to be that we care about daily life. We care about how we think about our families or our workplace or our, our school, our neighborhoods. We, we care about what matters to us in our hearts, our, our dreams, our hopes, our fears, our anxieties, our sadness, our joy. And we talk about those a lot because that's what it means to live daily life. That's what it means to be real people with real problems who are helped by a real gospel from a real Bible given to us by a real Savior who really came and lived and died and rose again for us. And some of the things that we think about in, the, in daily life, even kind of harking back to last week and previous weeks in Galatians, because it's the gospel that helps us sort out some of the most important things in daily life, the things that you and I feel, we may not always notice them, but we do feel them, we do wrestle with them. If we just took two of them, we could encapsulate what is a lot of the Christian life, and it is kind of bouncing back between two extremes. One is the extreme of legalism. We've been thinking a lot about that lately in Galatians. That our hearts are bent because the law is written on our hearts, but also because sin is there and it's kind of co-opting that law into thinking that that's really what the Christian life is about. It's really about doing the good things. It's really about making sure that you tally enough good marks so that when the divine report card comes out, everything's good. You don't get grounded. You don't lose anything. You don't get any discipline. But that's the legalistic way of thinking, right? That's the legalistic way of relating to God. But of course, on the other end is another concern, and that's the extreme of what we might call license, legalism and license. That's the opposite of legalism. It's the idea that now that I have this ticket to heaven, now that I have this thing called gospel, then I guess I could live any way that I wanted to. It doesn't matter how I talk. It doesn't matter anymore how I dress. It doesn't matter how I think or what I do with my money or where I go or what I look at or what I put in my body or anything else. It's all good because now I'm under grace. And of course, that doesn't make any sense either because no one, no one in their right mind or their right heart 
would relate to a God who had saved them by grace alone, an incredible act of mercy and compassion to enter our world, sinners like us, and to sacrifice himself for us, and then take advantage of that in such a way that we would say, now I do whatever I want. That's what Jesus came to give me, that kind of freedom. But that's no freedom at all, is it? That's just going back to another kind of slavery, of being enslaved to what I want. The gospel brings such better news because it awakens in our hearts an incredible gratitude for what Jesus has done for us, and it changes the way that we live. That's one of the real, it's, it's kind of bizarre, but it's one of the real complaints about people or churches who talk too much about grace. The idea is, if you tell people too much about grace or you point them to grace all the time, they'll just run wild. They'll do whatever they want. But that makes zero sense to the Bible, and it makes really zero sense to the actual Christian life. Because when you have been invaded by grace, when you have been plucked out of your little kingdom of self, and you have plant, been planted in God's kingdom of grace by good news, it changes the way you see your life. You don't want to live that way anymore. Not because if you do, God's going to get you. But we've said it a thousand times. We don't live like that anymore because God already has me. And he's already promised that he's not going to let me go. He's going to be patient with me. He's going to comfort me. He's going to walk with me. He's going to be faithful to me. Even if in seasons and moments, I continue to struggle in my own faithfulness to him. That's the gospel. And it's a beautiful thing. That's why we want more people to hear it more and more and more. And it's at the center of the great things that are happening in our church. We've seen so much growth over this past year in our community groups. The way that our community groups care for each other and think about each other and invite other people. We've seen it in the way that we have focused in on certain things in the Word of God through our preaching, through books of the Bible and, and key passages. Namely, this last year, you may remember what was the, one of the primary preaching series that we had. I hope you can remember them. Man, a ton of work goes into them. I hope you can remember them. Your gospel is too small. You can hear it right there. That's true of everybody. That's true today, right? That's true right now. You could, go, you could hear that sermon series a thousand times and your gospel would still be too small. That's how, that's how big it is. Or a recent sermon series called Connoisseurs of Happiness from the Epistle of Joy to the Philippians, which has brought the gospel to bear upon something so important to the Christian life and to change how we even see and feel about our lives. I heard one person say, about that sermon series, those texts, those truths, I have come to see that I can be happy. Even when things are going wild, even though it's really hard, I can be a person of joy. I should be a person of joy because God is a God of joy. And God has delivered this good news to me. Why? So I get with a program. So I do the stuff he says to do. So I'm a good little boy so that I will be happy in him. That's why this is so important. That's why we want to come back again and again to this truth that the gospel is the sum and substance of the Christian life. 
We want this to permeate everything. We want it to be the reason that we are inviting people to have guests at church because we want to invite others. We want to invite you to come to know what we are coming to know, that the gospel is central to everything that we are, and it is, it is what? It is good news. So we want to rest in it. We want to passionately live for this good news. But we need God's help and we need each other. And so we keep this on our minds. The gospel is the sum and substance of the Christian life. We know that from God's revealed word, the Bible. But we also know something else. That when we look at the Bible, the gospel is not just part of the Bible. It's not just a feature or an accessory of the Bible. It's not a footnote in the Bible. It's not a heading in one particular chapter or book. What is it? It is the pinnacle of the Bible. If you want to understand the Bible, and there are thousands of people who do, all kinds of people, Christian and non-Christian, they will start a few weeks from now. Wow, it's so close. A new year starting. And they will make a decision to read through the Bible. Because something is calling out to them. They know that there's something there. They want to know what the Bible says. I just started reading a book about a guy who decided to live for one year biblically. He went through and found all the commands and everything the Bible says to do, and for one year he did it. He ended up looking a lot like me. And he ended up doing a lot of things to try to keep those commands There's something calling out to people about that, but here's here's the amazing central truth. You cannot understand the Bible. You do not understand the Bible if you don't understand the gospel because the gospel is the pinnacle of the Bible. It's as if Scripture is this great tapestry on display in a museum. And this tapestry contains all of these different images woven together throughout history. And all of the important points of history are laid out there for you to see. But there is in, within the tapestry one key thread. One thread that ties all of those things together. And if you were to go into that museum and no one was looking and you pull on that thread and if you could pull it out, the whole tapestry would fall to the floor. It would unravel. That's what happens if you take that out of the Bible. The gospel is the thread of the tapestry of Scripture. Listen to what Paul says in these next few verses, starting in verse 3. He says again, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Now listen to what he says, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. There it is. And that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. He has taken the redeeming work of God and bookended it between those words according to the scriptures. Just as Jesus in his good news and in his redemptive work is central to our lives. He and his gospel is central to scripture. Again, we have those preaching words, those announcement words or language that Paul is using. We have a Bible that has been written down to us as an announcement and through all of the pages it is working to exalt as paramount Christ and his good news. And that's what we are striving to do in our church. We're trying to keep Christ central and his good news prominent because that is exactly what the Bible does. 
That's why Paul says in those verses, I deliver to you as of first importance what is of paramount concern, of of most importance to you. I'll ask you to think for a moment, and I'm not put off by silence. Think for a moment right now. What is most important to you? What's most important on a daily basis? What gets your most bandwidth, your most thought power, your most attention, your most of time? What do you wake up thinking about? What do you go to bed thinking about? If you're like me, you have a bunch of answers, and most of them are not gospel. That's just the reality of what it means to be a fallen person. But rather than just saying, well, that's the reality, that's how it is, we want to make a change. Think for a moment. What are those things? Are they coming up in your mind? For those of us who are Christians, is the Holy Spirit bringing them up to the top and they're kind of popping up in your brain of, oh, this is what I focus on most. This is what I worry about most. This is what I think about most. This is what I want most. What we really need, what I really need, is I need help. I need grace. I need God to help me overturn all of those things and to bring my focus back again and again and again to the gospel. And that's what he does through the reading of his word, through the study of his word, through the preaching of his word. It's again why we're so encouraging of reading the Bible in our community groups or in our families or in our own personal devotion time because this is how we hear over and over again in so many different ways as central to God's plan and work in the world as the pinnacle of what glorifies God is by finding our satisfaction in him through the good news. I need that more and more so that it becomes not just the pinnacle of Scripture, but the pinnacle of me, the pinnacle of you, the most important, the highest thought you and I could ever think. Let's remember this together. The gospel is the great announcement of redemption by free grace in Christ through God's covenant promise. That's a mouthful. But that's the kind of thought we need in our minds more. We need to be thinking more on a daily basis about that, rejoicing in that truth, drawing, pulling our joy and happiness from that truth, not from all of these other things, but to be reminded over and over again of what the gospel is, this objective truth of what Jesus has done for us. There is nothing more important in this next year than for us as a church and as Christians to hear from the Bible. There's nothing more important. There there are no um, TV channels. There are no other books. There are no radio programs, no podcasts. There's no music. There's nothing that is more important than for us to be hearing from God in his word. So it's an encouragement for us every year to reflect on what God has been doing through his word in our lives and looking forward to the new year to be asking and working and reading for more and more and more. But that's just the ordinary, right? That's the ordinary Christian life and isn't that good? If you wanna be a Christian and you feel ordinary like me, then do these things. Get to know God's word. 
Give your time to it. Talk about it with each other, with us. Be faithful in church attendance and ABF and YBF, children's classes, so that we can hear the word over and over again. As we teach it and as we discuss it and as we counsel it, that's also an an important reminder to our church that sometimes goes on unseen, behind the scenes, is that our church cares very much about biblical counseling, about the ministry of God's word to the souls of people to care for them. And that's happening behind the scenes a lot without us knowing about it. It's actually growing. There are others in our church who are, who are catching on to the importance of this work and wanting to contribute to it, to become something like a counselor of our church that could be available for those who, who reach out to us from outside of our church and reach out to one another, us, inside of our church. And that's another way that we are ministering the gospel. We want to expand that gospel ministry in this coming year. And we want to expand it outside of our walls more and more and more. One way that we're doing that is through LifeWise, which will begin meeting here in January, one day a week as we bring some students from nearby school or at some point maybe schools so that they could hear the Bible. They could have some interaction around the Bible and hear the gospel so that they might experience what we have experienced and are experiencing. It's a beautiful thing. It's also, though, really something for us to consider as a church recommitting ourselves to. Because while there are many wonderful things in our church, there are some dangers, especially as we reach 10, 11, 12 years old. Once we approach those teen years, something shifts. We don't feel like a church plant anymore. There's not a lot of setup and teardown. There's not as much obvious responsibility, and there's not as much fire. It's a normal thing. There's not as much fire to share the gospel. It's easy for all of us, pastors included, to feel like things are going pretty good. We're making the budget. We're paying the bills. Church is going well. People are growing. We're inviting some people. But then when it comes to our outreach, it can start to wane. Maybe we don't go to the outreach as frequently. Maybe we're not sharing with people as much as we once were when that fire was burning real bright and we were all kind of in the trenches of a school together just trying to keep it together. That happens. That's happening. So what we want to do is, with real joy and delight, think again, renew our hearts, commitment to this gospel message, going out. We're going to be thinking about that as pastors. We are thinking about that as pastors and making some plans for the next year, two, three years, as far as we can reasonably look ahead to work together on getting back to some of those basics because those are essential and we want to keep those central to our church because the gospel is the pinnacle. It's the highest thing in the word of God and because we care about the word of God, we want to care about these Here's the last truth this morning. As we think about our church being in a state of grace because we have been given, we also are reminded of the the vehicle of the gospel. That the gospel is the vehicle. It's the message. It's what carries the gospel or grace into the world because it's that announcement of good news. It's the announcement of grace. And so we want to be thinking, just as I said, about how we can be an increasing vehicle to the world. That's what God has designed us to be. 
Notice what Paul says in these last couple of verses, 10 and 11. He says something really humble, and it's the example that we're taking and and enjoying, I think, as a church. We want to maintain it. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul always seems real concerned that when he's preaching to other people, that he's not being interpreted as arrogant. He's not being interpreted as the the guru who has everything figured out, and I'll tell you how to live, and I'll tell you what to believe, and you just do what I do. He does encourage people to be like him, but this is what he's encouraging them to be like. He always says something like this, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Not by the works of me, I am what I am. Not by the education of my education, I am what I am. Not because of my my job or my neighborhood or my social standing, but because of the grace of God, I am what I am. And he says this, his grace toward me did not prove vain, but actually worked in him. This is what's interesting about grace. Grace doesn't just come and settle us. Grace comes and stirs us up. It does comfort us. It does cause us to do a kind of resting, but it doesn't make us stagnant. It doesn't make us idle. In fact, what it does is inflame us. It runs up our RPMs. It gets us moving, and it gets us moving in gospel-centered ways. I, the, the, his grace did not prove uh, vain, but listen to what he says. I labored. I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached and so you believed, he's pointing out that what the grace of God did in him was not only change his view of the world and and bring the gospel to being the sum and substance of his life, it didn't just change his view of the Bible, that now he understands it and he can see that thread that's the pinnacle of scripture, but rather it did something else. It turned Paul into a vehicle. It turned him into a vehicle, into a a mouthpiece, an ambassador. It turned him into a laborer, a cheerful, burden-free, easygoing, intense, though, laborer for grace. What is grace? We know that grace, this is the obvious part, it's unmerited favor. That's what grace is. It's God showing you favor that you don't deserve. He doesn't grade on a curve. He doesn't pay back. Not not in righteousness. He doesn't pay back good for good. But rather, God's favor extends into his help. His grace is also unmerited help. He works in us to change us. That's why we see in ourselves As our identity, we are people in need of grace. We're in need of grace to save us, but we are in need of grace to transform us. We're in need of grace to motivate us and to to fire us up, to get us moving. We want to be that too as a church. We are that too as a church. Incredible examples of God working in our church to send missionaries around the world. That will happen again very soon. We want it to happen more and more and more. There's been examples in our church of of our church sending out other vehicles, those inside of our church, to plant other churches. We want to see that keep happening. This is all part of that great commission that Jesus has given to us. And therefore, we have all the more need for grace. That's what we need. We don't really need programs. 
We don't really need strategies, so that can be helpful. Think clearly about what we're doing. What we need more than anything is grace. That's what we need to be praying for. God, give us more. Give us more. Give us more. More and more grace so that we can be a vehicle of that grace. So that we can fulfill the very purpose that God has saved us for. And that is to be, to be useful to him in these important ways. You don't have to look around very much on the news. There are wars going on everywhere. And if you listen closely, you see that the number one concern in those wars is resources. Resources are being spent, spent, spent. Money, lives, equipment. And there's always a constant pull and interest in more resources, right? That's what our country is constantly thinking about in these wars. How should we be giving resources here and giving resources there and helping here and sending this here? It's the same way in the Christian life. We have to have a constant supply of grace resources, gospel resources. And that's what God is giving us. And so we want to keep putting those to good use. That's evident. That's been evident in the past well, the history of our church, but really the past couple of years with our missions advocate team working so diligently and cheerfully to keep missions before our eyes. And it has boosted the giving of our resources, financial and otherwise. Some giving their lives, putting their lives in the plate. But either way, all of those resources have been growing. It's a really cool thing because they can then go and help us be together a vehicle of grace We're trying to grow this. We're trying to grow our missional emphasis here in our neighborhoods around the world because that is what the gospel is. It's the vehicle of God's grace. Do you want your friends to know God's grace? Do you really, do you believe? I think you do. We're all learning it, right? That God's grace is most important. It is the sub and substance with the gospel of our Christian lives. It is the central message of the Bible is the grace of God to sinners like us. Yeah, we get that. We want our friends to hear it. This is how it happens, by being vehicles, by being cheerful ambassadors, announcers like Paul of this good news. And that's why we preach the good news. That's why Paul preached the good news. As we come to a close this morning, then we can take away three simple truths. And these actual truths are going to come up. You can see them in the bulletin, whether or not your community group meets this week or not, because it's Thanksgiving, you'll see there a focus this week in community group on praying. And it is praying for these three things. That God would keep the gospel as our ultimate hope. That God would keep the gospel as our primary focus, our pinnacle, in addition to it being the marrow of our church. And that God would keep the gospel our main message. That we would be announcing that clearly everywhere that we can as much as possible. We're going to be praying for those. And so if your community group does not meet this week, you can access the bulletin online through Church Center and you can see those prayer steps, those requests, and make those a part of your prayer this week, this season, looking forward to the new year. That would be really good. And we'd anticipate God, God answering those prayers. Finally, if you're not a Christian, you need to come to Christ. There's no one else. There's no other sub and substance of life. There's no one else who can save you and help you. There's no one else who can make you happy. Not like this. And so we encourage you to come to faith in Christ, that you would make him your center. You would bow before him and commit your life to him, repent of your sin and place your trust in him by grace alone and rejoice to know him and follow him. And then join us, join us if you can. And if not, 
join a church somewhere else that believes these things and is doing these things. Let's pray together. Let me invite you to stand as we prepare our hearts to sing as we pray together this morning about this, the state of our church and our delight in being Paramount Church and looking forward to the future. Our Father, it is with real gratitude and thanks we come to you in prayer as a church. Under this prayer, we acknowledge our incredible dependence on you. We need you, we need, we need you, we need you. We need your grace, and we are thankful this morning for the good news of the gospel. We are aware that we don't get the gospel. None of us get it. We have not cornered it. Uh, it is not ultimately ours. We've not exhausted it. That will never happen. We pray that you would exhaust us, that you would fill us, that you would make this good news more central to our lives, more central to our daily thinking and living, more central to the mission of our church and to all that we are and, and, and how we see ourselves, how we see the world. And we pray that you would make us in that a cheerful vehicle of vehicles, voices that are announcing good news. And we pray that you would help our church to grow. We want our voice to grow. We want our fellowship to grow. We want our teamwork to grow. And so we pray that you would make that happen. We pray that in the coming year, you would build up all of these good things into even better things. And that you would take the many weaknesses that we see and even those that we don't and that you would fill them with your grace and change them. That you would strengthen them and thereby strengthen us and that our church would be growing in volume and in usefulness and in happiness and in gospel-centeredness. And we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.